Yesterday was a day that I'll never forget. And if you were here, you will live the rest of your life with a clear picture of what happened yesterday. We were so blessed by Pastor Carter Conlon. And um, before he comes, I just want to say what a profound experience this, this weekend has been. And I'm so grateful to God that as we end our 40-day fast, yesterday was day number 40. Thank God for day number 41. I'm going to Stony River right after lunch. And if y'all come up to greet me afterwards, um, we're going to keep it brief, okay? I got, a, I got an appointment. But um, that the Lord would send you. We, yesterday was so profound, I've already talked to him about prayer summit at the end of our 40-day fast, 2023, about him coming back. Prayer Summit is now going to be one of our routine calendar events every year. because And we're going to watch the rest of the year God just open the heavens over this church as we give him first things first. Um, I was a child in Roanoke, Virginia in an outdoor tabernacle at camp meeting when I heard Nikki Cruz in the early 70s who came to Christ through David Wilkerson's ministry little country preacher goes to New York City and the drug lord, gang leader, Nikki Cruz comes to Christ through that ministry. Pastor Carter comes from Canada to join David Wilkerson in the 90s and led that church in New York City, Times Square, through one of its greatest eras. And to follow anyone who followed someone like David Wilkerson and took that ministry through God to a whole nother place and that church continues to thrive how many of you know New York City needs like Times Square Church and Brooklyn Tab and all the others to be full of God's Spirit? Well, thank God we know two of them at least that are. And um, as he comes today, um, I pray that your heart will be opened. This is a general in the faith, and we are honored to have him. Have him. He has spoken to millions of people all over the world. And I, I introduce speakers because I believe the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And what he's been through, what God has brought him through to this season, he speaks from a deep well, great wisdom. This is an apostle of prayer that I believe God is using to call the last day's church to seek God's face in prayer and fasting for a great outdate, last day's outpouring. And we're going to be part of that. Amen. Would you help me welcome Pastor Carter Conlon this morning? Bless you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Being Super Bowl Sunday... How many remember Mark Gastineau with the New York Jets? Anybody remember him? Well, he's a door greeter at our campus church now, wonderful believer in Christ, and he and the three others that were part of a, a thing called the SAC Exchange have uh, established a scholarship fund at our Bible school for at-risk inner-city youth. And uh, I just thank God. Mark is a wonderful Christian, wonderful Christian. He's a monster of a man. He's huge, and he's a door greeter. And his technique needs a little refining. We're going to work on that. Because <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, he was uh, 
challenging the men that were there. He'd shake their hand when they'd leave and say, what's the matter with you? You've got no friends? How come you're here alone today? You know, <laughs> next week you've got to do better. And the guy's going, okay, 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 we'll do better, you know. So he uh, he's just loves the Lord. And uh, it's just such a privilege to see somebody so touched of God. And, uh, you know, he said, told me one time, he said, at the height of my career, I was making $65,000 a week, which was quite a bit for back then. And he said, now... He makes about, you know, one one-hundredth of that. And he said, I've got a lovely wife and two dogs, and I've never been happier in my whole life. He said, just a loving the Lord, serving God. Just, and he's a, a, an everyday, all-day witness for Christ, a very bold witness for Christ. Hard to imagine that if you remember the days of uh, when he played in New York City, but that's the reality of what Christ can do. Thank God. I want to speak to you today about the, the groanings of the Spirit. The groanings of God's Holy Spirit. Now, you may not be aware of it, but God's Holy Spirit is groaning inside of you right now for you. With, now, we're going to read this. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, please, if you will, if you have your Bible. I'm, I'm using the New King James Version in case you're wondering if you want to follow along. If you have uh, your phone or tablet or, or a Bible. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin at verse 22. So, Father, I want to thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for... The opportunity, one more time, just to open your word and glorify you as best as I know how. I want to thank you, God, for the reality of taking us in our nothingness. Lord, you found me. and uh, God, uh, I would never have used me if I was you, but you chose me to glorify you and to talk about you and your love and your power and what you can do through a surrendered vessel. And it has been an amazing journey. Oh, God, it's been amazing. And I can't thank you enough for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy on my home, and my family, my marriage, my children, and now the nine grandchildren. I thank you with all of my heart, God, for all that you have done and what you continue to do and will do in the future. I ask you, Lord, that your kingdom would come here in this sanctuary and your will would be done in us on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the grace, Lord, to believe you. Give us the grace to move with you, to walk with you. As Paul the Apostle once said, in him we live and move and we have our being. God, help us, Lord Jesus Christ, to go beyond the limitations that we place on our own lives and to believe what you speak about us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that's going to be accomplished this day. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. And, and thank you, Pastor, for the hospitality that's been so evident here at this church and the presence of God. I just love the presence of God. When, where he is, that's where I want to be and among his people. And it's, it's amazing to find congregations that are willing to fast and pray in this generation and seek him want to walk with him. And as I said yesterday, the, the presence of the Lord has been hidden, in a sense, from this generation. And there's a groaning in society around us. If, there was a statistic I read in a study recently that one people are suffering from depression in America right now. Almost a third of the country go to bed groaning for a reason to live, a reason to hope. Some of our Towns and cities are just opiate addicted to the point where it's become uh, a national emergency because people have no hope. There's no go-forward strategy. 
It is really time for the church to rise. And we are the church. You are the church. It's time for the body of Christ to come out of hiding, may I put it that way, and let the presence of God be made known. Now, I want to talk about how that's going to happen in our generation. Now, Romans 8, beginning at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, if you are like I am, when you read the news some days and you see the debauchery that's hitting our society, the foolishness, the fact that evil is being called good and good is being called evil and the rampant confusion that seems to be baptizing almost this whole society, there's something within you that says, I want to get out of here. I want to go home. And, but we begin to realize, as the Apostle Paul said, I want to depart and I want to be in that eternal place, but it's more needful for you that I stay here. And we as the body of Christ are, are born for this generation. We're left on this earth for this season. This is not a happenstance. God foreknew you and foreknew you would be born into this time, a difficult time in a sense, a season, a storm that's hit not only America, but it seems to be hitting a good part of the known world today. And I really do thank God for being born in this generation because I believe that we are on the precipice of a spiritual awakening, a mercy moment, I call it. It may only last for a couple of years, but mercy still triumphs over judgment. Even if judgment has to come, and it will, of course, this whole world will spiral out in its rebellion against God. But God still is willing to show mercy, draw people into his kingdom, and see them find forgiveness through Christ. And I thank God that he's called us to be ambassadors of that message. Now we'll move on. Verse 24 says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, in other words, in the same manner, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Isn't that amazing? A declaration in the Bible that says, you and I, our prayers are short of what God has for us. We don't fully understand the will of God for our lives. We don't we don't fully know what it is that God wants to do through each of us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the throne of God and find out what my life could have been when I get there. No, I want to, I want to walk it to the fullness. My, my goal in life has been to get to the end of my course, like Paul say, I've, I have run the race that God set before me. I've finished the fight that he gave me to fight. And there is now laid up for me a crown of righteousness that God will give not only to me, but to all them who love his appearing. Everyone who has, who has just loved the, the presence of God, who has, who has loved the, the times when, when he comes and gives us the strength that only God can give. Not a strength that we've produced out of any amount of our own human exuberance, but it's divine. It's God. And we know it has been God. And we, we've loved the appearing, in a sense, of Christ in our lives and through our lives to this and every other generation. But he says, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but the Holy Spirit is now inside of you and me because we are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have just like a fuzzy feeling about God or some verses of Scripture that we've memorized. We have the actual person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit living inside of our physical bodies, God. And he is groaning inside of us, 
about things that we haven't thought about yet that God is actually thinking about us. Now, he who searches, verse 27, the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he's making intercession right now inside of you, and that's possibly why you and I, once in a while, we, we actually feel this inner groaning, and we're not quite sure what it is. It is the Spirit of God that he's making intercession because he knows what the will of God for you is. Something that we are not thinking about. Something that's so far outside the box because our tendency is to look at our certificates on the wall or lack thereof or our social standing or the amount of money we have in the bank or, or our ability to speak or not to speak or whatever it is or the struggles that we have in our life. We look at these things and we make a determination almost like the children of Israel did when they were brought out of bondage and led to the border in a sense of the promised land that was given them by God and and. They came out of bondage just like we. everyone here has a testimony, I'm sure, of something that captivated your life, some prison you couldn't get out of, something that was in your heart, your mind, sense of hopelessness, whatever it was. But you cried out as the children of Israel cried out and a deliverance came to you. I don't know how the message came to Israel. It came through an old man and his brother. Two old guys with a stick brought a whole nation out of captivity and defeated one of the... That's God's battle plan. Do you know you are God's ridiculous battle plan in this generation? You are. His battle plans are always ridiculous. Look at, look at them in the scripture. He always takes the foolish to confound the wise. He always takes the weak to bring down those who stand in their own strength. He always chooses the nobodies and the nothings of society. And so this is really our hope for the future. God, if in the past, if, if you took 300 men and took them to three different pinnacles on the mountain and caused them to raise a torch and shout the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon and defeated an entire army of 135,000, Soldiers, you can do that again in this generation. You are God. You don't change. We think you change, but you don't change. And the things you did back then, you're willing to do again in our generation. But where are the Gideons? Where are the Rahabs? Where are the Esthers? Where are the Davids? Where, where are the people that are willing to face giants with just a bag and five stones in it? Where, where are the people that are willing to think outside of themselves and their, their own skills or lack of skills and just say, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to go with you. So he who searches the hearts, verse 27, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good. Everything that, every plan that God has for your life, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. His purpose. So much bigger than ours. We go on to verse 31 where Paul says, What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can stop the plan of God? Well, we can. But other than that, nobody else can. Whatever God asks us to do will be done. Where he sends us, we will go. What he gives us to speak will be spoken. What he chooses to do in the people will be done. I've seen that my whole life. I've been all over the world. I've seen God do miracles. I've been in places where I've seen whole communities under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I've I've spoken to kings and governments. I've been in presidents' homes. I mean, God has taken me places that I'm not qualified to go in. And I love it. I just love the fact that I've never been qualified to do anything that I'm doing. You know, when I was in university, I was... I applied uh, to be a dorm, uh, res pro- uh, dorm proctor, or a res fellow, they call it back then. And, and it was uh, a course you took, I mean, to greet people who are new, newbies that are coming into college. 
you show them where the room is and you tell them where the cafeteria is and you just, if they have any questions, you answer them. I mean, how hard is that to do? So I took a course and I failed. <laughs> and the, the leader told me, you're not leadership material. But I did wind up passing a church of 10,000 people in New York City. So, what though, if, what if I had accepted his definition of my life? What if that became the certificate on my wall? What if that got into my mind and in my spirit that you'll never be leadership material? What if, what if that became the paper wall in the sense that I believed at the end of my corridor and chose to stop there and stay there and, and turn down every opportunity that God gave to do something? that would bring glory to his name. But if God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say then to these things? He who did not spare his own son, verse 32, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So Paul is making the point, and he's saying, if God did not withhold his son from you, why would he withhold anything else? that he wants to do in your life. That's the bottom line. Why, why would the victory of the cross not become yours? Why, why would the, resurrection, the promise of resurrection life that God gives through Christ be for somebody else? Do we have to sit and for the rest of our lives read about other people's stories and other people's testimonies or is there something in this for me? Does God have a unique plan or purpose for my life? And is God trying to bring me into some form of agreement? Is, is this groaning going on inside. You see, the, the only ones, you see, the scripture says he makes intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. The, now, the, groaning, the groanings are of God. The, the lack of utterance is us. He is groaning. He knows what the will of the Father is. That's what the scripture says. We are the ones that can't speak in unison with it. We, we almost dare not believe it when God starts speaking into our lives about what he wants to do. And, and it's, it's so difficult to say the words in the sense of what he's speaking into our hearts, where, where he's actually leading us. You know, there's a young girl that attends our Bible school and, uh, at Summit, and she's from Mongolia. And we were in a fellowship uh, a year or two ago, and she was sitting in the room next to me, and uh, she, she's a young girl. She was the first believer in her family, didn't know much about God, had come to Christ in a very uh, hostile environment might I add, to the gospel, and in a family that's not overly supportive of her. She went outside one day. Now, she doesn't have Bible knowledge, but she goes outside one day, and she looks up, and the Lord says, look up and look at the stars, and he says, these are all the things I'm thinking about you. These are all the promises I have for your life. And then a shooting star goes through the sky, and he says, this is my first promise now, which is going to be fulfilled. I'm going to take you to a place where you're going to be trained and taught about me. With no opportunity, no backing, no money, no nothing, very minimal chance of ever getting a visa. There she is at our Bible school in Grantville, Pennsylvania, being taught about the ways of God. And she was saying, I'm so excited about what the other stars are going to be. You know, and, you know out of the mouths of babes, what's wrong with the rest of us that know the Hebrew and Greek of all the meanings and words in the Bible, and yet we can't come up to a place of simple faith sometimes? I wonder if that's what the Lord meant when he said to the church of Ephesus, you started out one way, then you, you ended up, you're, you're examining and proving doctrine and, and preachers, and you're doing works, and you're doing more than at the beginning, but you've left your first love. Those days when you believed everything was possible, you knew it was all by mercy. You knew what a mess you were, what the Lord says when you came to me, and you knew how much I loved you. 
You know I cleansed you. You know I promised you life. And, and you, you started walking out in that life. And so what happened? It all turned to almost like a, a religious work system. And you left your first love. He says, come back there. Because if you don't, you're going to lose your testimony. The candlestick is going to be lost. Amazing. I, may that, that's my prayer. My God, may I never lose the testimony as long as I live. May I never lose the testimony of your presence and your purpose in my life. Jeremiah, the prophet, in chapter 29, verses 11 to 13, he says to the people of these times, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me, and you will go, and you will pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And that's what you've been doing here as a congregation. You've been fasting. You've been praying. And I thank God, Pastor, that that's your heart. Because that's where the strength of God is found. That's where the ministries of God are born. He says, "You, I have thoughts to give you a future and, a, and hope. And those thoughts are going to come to you when you read Jeremiah. When you call upon me, when you start talking to me, I start listening to you. And you will find me. When you search for me with all of your heart, you, there's, there's something I have for you that you haven't thought about yet that I'm going to do through your life. You know, quite often we think that when we're, when we're praying that we're trying to either move the reluctant hand of God or we're asking him to do something he really didn't think about yet. He's been too busy to think about it. But it's, it's actually exactly the opposite. His hand is not reluctant. As a matter of fact, he is groaning in sight of each of us to do certain things that we've not even thought for ourselves that can be done. Let me give you an example of this from the Old Testament. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. Here's the scenario. Israel has become the modern-day America of its time. The, the nation is falling from the top to the bottom. It's a deplorable, despicable time in the history of a people that were founded on the grace of God. And their purpose was to bring glory to God in the earth, very much like this nation was 400 years ago. In chapter 22, verse 26, here's some of the condition. It's even worse than this, but I'm just starting half partway into it. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They've not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they've hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I'm profaned among them. So he's, The ministry became light. It became foolish. It was all entertainment, fables. You know, Paul the Apostle said in the last days that people will be turned from the truth and turned to fables. And you know, fables, muthos in the Greek, actually, you know what fables are? Good stories that have an actual moral to them, and they're not necessarily a lie. They can be true, but they are not the word of God. They're just stories, and they're just entertainment. And what Paul is essentially saying in the last days, people will be turned from doctrine turn from biblical truth and and come to places that entertain them with stories. That's really what he's saying. The priests are no longer talking about sin in this culture. They're no longer saying this is holy, this is unholy, this this offends a holy God, this is what your life should be. They've they've dropped all of this terminology and they're they're just telling the people what they want to hear. Her princes, these are the political leaders in her midst, are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. And then there's now a whole ministry that's undergirding, in a sense, these princes. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. 
Verse 29 says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So we're looking at this and saying, surely this is a nation that deserves the judgment of God. Surely they have failed in their commission. Surely they have, they have treated their purpose in the word of God so lightly, and they've become so vile that God now has to judge them. There's no shortage of voices in America today that believe that God has to judge America. Has to. There's no other option. We've, we've crossed the line. We've, we're the Sodom and Gomorrah of our, of our modern day generation. And the judgment of God has to come. Is, is, so is that what God is thinking? Verse 30, he says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. So what was God thinking? Now, the people are obviously thinking we deserve the justice of God. Now, some are just evil, and they're thinking evil thoughts. Others, maybe who, who were sincere in their worship of God, are, are coming into the temple, into, uh, doing their worship. But in their minds, we've, we've failed, we've fallen. The justice, the judgment of God is our rightful portion. The people are evil. They're, they're, they're becoming vile. The prophets are, are liars. The princes are thieves. And and the priests are no longer telling us the difference between the holy and the unholy, and we deserve the judgment of God. That has to be what God is thinking yet, but that's not what God is thinking. He said, I sought for a man, not an army, not a stadium fall, not, a, not another political movement. I sought for one man. Amazing, one man among them to make a wall, to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So God is thinking something and he's thinking it about specific people. You can just see as he goes to the temple, he's, he's coming to one, then he goes to another, and then he goes to another. Would you, and he's trying, he's groaning. There's a groaning, as we talked about the groanings of the Spirit. Would you rise up? Would you be that man? Would you be that Esther? Would you be the one that, that, that cancels the spirit of death that's come upon this nation and the evident judgment that must come. God's not looking to judge the nation. He's looking to show mercy for a season. I don't know for how long, but he's looking to show mercy. And I don't know about you, but I hear that in my spirit right now, that God wants to show mercy because in America because he remembers every tear that was cried by everybody in the last 400 years. In every, he hears the groans in every apartment. He hears every single mom who can't feed her kids. He hears it all. He's looking for another Moses, another Esther, somebody, somebody that just stands up and says, Lord, here am I. It's, it looks like I'm trying to stop a tsunami with a piece of cardboard. The nation has become so evil. But God, you and I are a majority. If God be for us, who can be against us? If, if God has decided to do this, who can stop it? If God wants to have a moment of mercy on this nation to sweep in an uncountable number of souls. There is no liberal agenda that can stop it. There's no power of darkness that can stop it. There's no indoctrination in our schools and colleges that can stop what God is about to do. And all he needs is one man. One woman. Somebody that says, here am I, Lord, send me. Some Isaiah chapter 6 person that's been in the presence of God and they, they sense their own unworthiness, but they hear the voice of God even in their own unworthiness. They hear God saying, who shall we send? Who will go for us? 
Isaiah's the only one in the room that feels undone. All around him are these perfected, created beings with six wings and all these heavenly beings that are moving in total unison with, with God. And the only one that's a mess is him. And there's a silence. God says, who will go? Who shall I send? And there's a silence in heaven. Just like maybe there, is, there was in Ezekiel's day. And, and oh God, may it not be found in our day. I, I don't think, I don't think Isaiah's jumping up and down saying, here my sin be as I've even preached it in the past. I don't think so. I think because nobody says anything. This, he's thinking in his mind, send that thing with six wings and listen to that, that thing. If it, if it appeared here, we'd listen. Wouldn't we? He's the only one that has been undone. He's the only one that's needed his lips touched. He's the only one that's felt like, God, if you deal with me as I deserve, God, I, I, I have no hope. And yet, so nobody says anything. So he's the guy in the back that goes, okay, I'll go. That's the way I see it. If nobody else will go, I'll go. And because of his obedience, the Lord gives him a tenth of the population. Thank God for that. A tenth of the population of America would be what? I don't know, 30 million? I'd, I'd take that. So I sought for a man, but I found no one. The Holy Spirit is groaning. Nobody is listening. We're so reluctant to believe when God speaks to us about doing something in and through us that we haven't thought was possible. We're so reluctant. Wouldn't it be awful to get to the throne of God and find out you were the Esther for this generation? You know, Esther was chosen at a time when she felt unlovely. She said, wow, I wish you'd have called me. Like, we had a real thing going 10 years ago or five years ago, but he doesn't even call for me in the last 30 days. It's like the, it's like the lady that says, well, listen, I, I don't even pray anymore. I used to pray. I used to have a real passionate prayer life, and, but, hey, it's been cold and at this, at this, if you're calling me at the wrong time, she doesn't realize, though, she's, she is, you might, it's not really about you. The reality is you have access to the throne of the king. It's not about you. It's God's choice. It's, I might be the Mordecai in your life today that's saying, you, you, I, I have to stop at the gate, but you can go to the throne. Take, take up the torch. Take up the banner. Go in. And if it costs you, it costs you, but go in. And thank God she did because she was able to rewrite a law of death into a law of life. And she actually became a co-regent with her husband, which was unheard of in the Medo-Persian Empire. She became a co-ruler with her husband. That's amazing. She actually changed the whole thinking, the whole order. You know, it's, it's amazing. We, we're called to rule and reign with Christ. You know that. It'd be awesome if we could start doing a little bit of that now. I want to show you a modern day example or more New Testament example of, of this groaning of the spirit. In John chapter 11, we know the story. We all know the story. Lazarus has died. Jesus didn't come. It's almost a, it's a type of our hope sometimes. Oh, God, I wish you had come 10 years ago. I wish you had come when, when I had more fire in my belly for you. Or I wish you had come just earlier than you did and the first one he encounters is Martha, and she says in John eleven twenty one, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's the type of a person who says, where, where, where were you when we needed you? Where were you when the darkness was moving into our school system and beginning to captivate our children? 
But she says, but now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. See, we're, we're, we accuse him, but we're not, we, don't, we want to cover it up with a, a semi-faith, you know. Like, we, you weren't here, I get that, and, and if you would have come, which is a, the inference is you were negligent, if you would have come, if you would have cared, our brother would still be alive. But now, whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection and at the last day. You know, it's amazing how we have a tendency to put everything God wants to do off into the future. Not now. What if God's speaking to you about now? Now. I want to do something in your life now. Our initial reaction is, well, not now. Maybe, I'm not ready yet. Maybe later. I'll, when I get it, I'll study a little more. Like the lawyer that came to Jesus, you know, he talks about the neighbor, and, and the lawyer says, and who is my neighbor? What a brilliant question is that, right? Who is my neighbor? Thinking that I can disguise my lack of serving God by, by the inference that I'm still learning, and oh, I'm really studying this thing, and once I, once, I, once I get it, boy, I'm going to be all in. You know, I shared one time at a conference, I says, how much theology does it take to give half of your sandwich to a hungry man? And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in me. Though he may die, yet, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Then she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So basically she just throws scripture at the Son of God, does not answer his statement or his question. And we do that with God sometimes. He's trying to speak to us about life and we're just throwing scripture back. And it's always trying to cover up the fact that we don't believe he's the resurrection and the life. We don't believe he can bring life to a situation that we have pronounced dead and unreachable. So we go on to verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her, that's Mary, weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. Remember we our opening scripture. The Holy Spirit inside of you is what? Groaning, with groanings that cannot be uttered. He's groaning for something. So he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Then verse 35 says, Jesus wept. He cried. I think he, I think he saw all the people all throughout time, even to our day, that were, wouldn't believe that he is the resurrection and the life, wouldn't believe that he can be merciful. He can bring things that we think are dead and hopeless and stink and weak. He can actually bring them back to life. We just don't believe that. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Verse 38 says, then Jesus again groaning in himself, groaning. So that means John, if, if he probably witnessed it in person, he heard the groan. You can imagine the Son of God just like, oh, like when are they going to believe? Martha's serving me. Mary has been at my feet weeping. I've spoken to these people. They've seen the miracles that I can do. When are they going to believe in who I am? When are they going to believe that I can bring dead dreams back to life and dead marriages, I can, I can reinvigorate them and just anything and everything or, or dead visions, dead, dead understandings of who we are that I, can, I have the power to bring them back to life. And he said, take away the stone. And Jesus said to her, and of course Martha says, by this time he stinks, he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not say, if you would believe, you would see God do that which only God can do? 
the glory, the doxa of God. That means the, in the original text, it means that which is in us, which God will do to bring his own name to reputation. Did I, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you'd see the glory? You'd live to see me do in you what only I can do. If you would believe. If you could be brought out in a sense of that place of standing at the border and staring at the promised land and coming to the wrong conclusion. That somehow the, the obstacles, somehow the giants, somehow my lack of this or my... So I know the promises are here, but not for me. Somebody else, some other place, some other time. And when people come to that conclusion, the very same thing that happened to the children of Israel happens to them. They die in a wilderness. They die in a dry place. So they start coming to church and they start criticizing the pastor and they criticize the worship and everything has to be just right. The reality is that they're in the wilderness and they're looking for life. But the, the problem is that where they're looking is not where it's found for them. God wants to do something so far beyond anything they've thought or imagined for themselves. And I love the fact in this scene you have Mary who's been weeping at his feet. You have Martha who's been serving. You have all the Jews who've been listening. And the only one who can hear his voice is a dead man. Think that one through. If you feel dead, if you're dead here today, you're in. You're it. You're the man. You're the woman that... You say, Pastor, you're just preaching right down my bowling alley right now because I'm dead. I feel dead inside. I feel like I've got no hope. I feel like I've got no life. You see, when you get to that point, you're actually ready to hear the voice of God and actually start living in supernatural life. Start at the beginning. You know, I have, I have, I have come, you've heard, I've come from a place of panic attacks to preaching crowds of as big as 500,000. I've seen, I've seen whole communities under the conviction of God in some instances. I've actually lived to see a spiritual awakening. I know what it looks like in a community of 100,000 people one time where everybody's under the conviction of God. Everyone, not under the service, but all the time, 24-7, everyone you speak to starts weeping when you mention the name Jesus. I've seen it. Not just read about it, but I've actually seen it. I've lived in it. I've, I've, I've been in the houses of uh, prime ministers and presidents and kings and governments, and I've, I've had opportunities that only God, doors that only God could open. I've never been qualified to do anything that I do. It's amazing. I've spoken to Muslim soldiers. I've been in Hindu-Muslim prisons. I've been, there's just, it's just been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. But it starts where it starts. A lot of people say, well, you know, I, I'm not going to go because I could never do that. I could, you're trying to go from now to, the, to the, maybe the farther down the road instead of just starting at the beginning. Starting at the beginning of just letting God begin to speak through your life the way he wants to. Trusting, just believing, believing what he says about you. I, I, I said this morning, I was coming out of a restaurant. I'm just a brand new believer in Christ and my wife was off in the, the restroom, and I, I looked up through a window at this, this restaurant, and I looked out at the sky, and, a, and an airplane flew overhead. And, and that was, this was my shooting star, just like the little girl from Mongolia. And the Lord said, I'm going to take you all over the world, and you're going to tell people one day what I've done in your life. Now, I've never traveled anywhere. I'm afraid of flying. I've never spoken anywhere. I'm not a preacher. I've never studied much of the scriptures other than I love the word of God, and I would read it for myself. But you see that there's a promise goes by. I have the choice. Can I, do I agree with this or do I reject this? I remember that night I just said, Lord, I would do it if it was you. You know that I can't do this. And you know it will never happen apart from you. But if this is you, 
opening this door, I'll go through it. And that's been my whole life. To the Church of Philadelphia, he says, you have a little strength. You've not denied my, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. And he says, so I set before you an open door that no man can close. We don't have to find the door. The door is set. It's like it comes down out of the rafters, like in a Broadway production. And suddenly the door is just there. And he says, all I'm asking you to do is just go through the door. Just go through the door and, and just, do, just let me be God in you and do what I ask you to do. I'm on 605 radio stations now across the country. Have a one-minute devotional call. It's time to pray. Calling the nation back to God and back to prayer and a half-hour more intense program that's on 305 stations uh, called A Call to the Nation, where I deal with some of the more uh, relevant issues that we have to talk about today from, from a scriptural perspective. That's the whole, this is a, a large door that God has sent me through. Again, not qualified. I, I shared this morning that Ambassador Communications in California tried to train me to be a radio voice. You know, they teach you voice intonation, all this stuff, how to sound sincere on the radio and uh, it was hopeless. It was just totally hopeless. And I said, the guy who was trying to teach me was laughing all the time. I said, look, look, it is what it is. So I sent, I sent word back to them. I said, it is what it is. You either take it or leave it. If I have to be trained to sound sincere, I'm not sincere. You know, let's, let's you know, they want you to, you know, it just sounds so ridiculous, the stuff they want you to get you to do instead of just being who you are. And uh, by God's grace, it, it, is, uh, it is profited just, just uh, being uh, anointed and normal. As my wife always says, we're anointed and normal at our Bible school. Uh, supernatural life. You fasted for 40 days, and at the end of 40 days, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I know he spoke to your pastor, that the end of the fast is the beginning of the supernatural. Now, the supernatural is God just doing in us what only God can do. So you can be supernaturally natural. It's just part of your day. Just allowing the, the Holy Spirit, allowing the groanings of the Holy Spirit, allowing your mind to come in tune with what God is thinking. He knows the thoughts of every person that you meet every day. He knows what they cried out last night in their bedroom all alone. We don't know it, but the Holy Spirit knows. And he lives inside of us. And sometimes he's, he's trying to get us to start moving in cooperation with him. I'll give you an example. I was in my 50s. This is only one example. And this is like a day-to-day thing. Because this is really where it starts. If I don't have the day-to-day, forget the big crowds. You have to have a day-to-day Christian life. You have to every, every morning get up and say, God, I'm, I'm excited about what you're going to do today. I'm excited that you've thought about doing something through my life that I didn't think about. And I'm not even thinking about it now. But you'll show me at the right time. So I'm riding home on the subway. We lived in New Jersey. I'm coming home from a, the office time in New York Central Church, and I'm sitting. And it was a, an unusual day for whatever reason. There were bent seats in this uh, this commuter train car, and they they turned them to face each other. So you're sitting with facing like there's three people on my side and three people on the other side, and your knees are this far apart, and it's really awkward. So I bought this fifty cent rag of a paper that I found in the train station, I know, the Daily Blob or whatever it's called, and I, you know, I, I'm just more or less pretending I'm reading it because I don't want to be looking at the people in front of me. You know, it's just, it's, so I got this paper up and there's two businessmen beside me. There's two businessmen on the left side of this seat and a young lady about maybe 35, 38 in front of me. And I'm reading my paper and the Lord suddenly says to me, the Holy Spirit says, tell the lady in front of you that everything is going to be okay. 
I said, you tell her yourself. You're a god. <laughs> I am not doing this. This is going to go south real fast, and we still have 45 minutes on this train car together. I'm going to look at her. Excuse me. I just want you to know everything's going to be okay. You know? And you know what these guys are going to think, and these, these, are all, these are all New Jersey business guys. You know the way they, you know, just the way they think. And this is really going to go south. She's going to look at me and say, get lost, you creep. And it's going to be like, going to be like 40 minutes of hell on this train. So I'm not doing this. I keep on reading my rags. See, but the God is patient. He's groaning in me. See, this, I want to make it real practical. He's groaning inside of me. So after about another 10 minutes, and he just won't let me go. So I put the paper down. I just, I just went off the deep end. I just said, I'm just going to do this. And I said to the, I looked at her and I said, excuse me, young lady. I said, I am a pastor from New York City. And immediately these guys are smirking over here. You know, I know what they're thinking. And um, I said, you know, I, I don't know if you understand this or not. I said, but God speaks to me. And he told me to tell you everything is going to be okay. She bursts out crying. I mean, I remember the tears shot out of her eyes. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. She said, I have two children and a husband, and I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. I have cancer. And I've been sitting here saying, God, you have to tell me if everything is going to be okay. Moving. Moving with the Holy Spirit. Keep it real. Keep it practical. Now, this, late, this young lady is just sitting there going, oh, thank you, Jesus. She's crying. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you should have seen the two guys here and the two guys here. They're going, oh, God. God speaks to people. So they're going home and they're telling their wives, I'm sure you're, never, you're not going to believe this, but this guy said God spoke to him and this girl's sitting there, you know, and they can read. But and it plants a seed, right? When we are moving in unison with God, it plants a seed in people. And so suddenly maybe these guys are thinking, God, if you speak to people, can you speak to me? How do you do that? You just never know where it's, where it's going to end up when you, when you start moving in the Spirit. One Tuesday night, I got up in the pulpit to speak at Times Square Church. I've got my message all prepared, and then I just have a sudden thought that just won't go away. It just, it just won't go away. So I said, up in the balcony, up on this side of the balcony, I said, if you excuse me just for a moment, folks, I said, up in the balcony, I said, there's, there's a man up here, and you are going to commit suicide. I said, if you will stand up right now, I said, I'm going to ask the people all around you to lay their hands on you and pray, and we're going to pray against that and ask God to, to deliver you from that thought and, and bring you into a place of, of uh, fullness in your life. So this man stands up. I, I can't hardly see because it's quite a ways up in the balcony, but he does stand up, and people gather around, and then the whole church prays, God, destroy this spirit of suicide off of this man. So the Holy Spirit was groaning. He knows that man is there thinking this thought. Fast forward, I'm preaching at a pastor's conference in Beaumont, Texas, probably two, three years later, and uh, at the end of one of the sessions, this, this uh, man comes up. He's a businessman. And he, he stands before me and he says, you don't know who I am and you probably don't remember, but I was the guy in the balcony on a Tuesday night on the edge of suicide. And he says, that night, not only did I get delivered from that, but I gave my life to Christ and now I'm involved in the ministry, in, in prison ministry. And I'm, I'm putting my resources into bringing this message of freedom to people who are in jail.
When we begin to, when we move with the Spirit of God, miracles start happening. God begins to do what only God can do. But instead of having, instead of getting stuck in the big picture, let's just start with where we live. Let's start with the people we interact with in our homes and then across the street and then in our communities. Just learning to move with God and becoming supernaturally natural. There's, there's nothing goofy about this. You don't have to have twirling eyes and antennas coming out the top of your head trying to tell somebody that you're spiritual. You just, you just start moving with God and God begins to speak. And, then, and, and as you start to learn to move with him, then bigger doors start opening. You, you, don't, you don't call a man to do something bigger until he's been proven faithful or a woman until she's been proven faithful. Then you know you have somebody that can hear your voice and then God says, I've, I've got something a little bigger for you. I've got a, a bigger door to set in front of you and I want to do something through your life that will bring, it's always about bringing freedom to people, by the way, always, always. That is the entire of the Son of God is the, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. So this is the mission. And it's always about the captives. It's always about the brokenhearted, the spiritually blind, the wounded and bruised and people that don't have anybody. It's always about moving into this mountain of flailing and failing humanity with the grace of Almighty God. And I thank God. I've had the privilege of, of, of seeing 100,000 people come to Christ in one service in my lifetime. But I get just as excited over one person that comes to Christ during the day that nobody else sees. Let me finish with just a story of I was in a supermarket a couple of years ago because my wife is the president of our Bible school. You should check it out. It's an amazing school, by the way. Summitpa.org. It's easy to find, and it's an amazing. The presence of God is in that place. It's an amazing school. And so for about 10 years, we would only see each other on the weekend during the school year. I was pastoring in New York. She was leading the Bible school. And when she would always drive home every Friday night and come to church with me on Sunday, and then she'd leave back for the school on Monday, and, and it, it was the calling of God for her life. David Wilkerson asked her if she would take over the school, and she would always cry uh, when I left, and I would always cry when she left. And I used, I told her, I used to tell her, it's a whole lot better than if we cry when we come home, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> so. And I would always buy her flowers. I'd always buy her roses when she would come home on the weekend. And so I'm in the store just doing what I always do, and I'm buying a, a, a dozen roses. And uh, and this guy next to me, about my age. In New, in New Jersey, he's buying two dozen white roses. I said, you need a bag for those? You know, the long uh, plastic thing? I, he said, yeah, thanks. I said, okay. So I tore some off. And, and um, I, he, I, he said to me, he says, well, what are you buying the roses for? I said, well, my wife. You know, I said, she comes home on the weekends. Uh, we work in different places. And, uh, you know, for this, for this short season in our lifetime. And I, I generally buy her roses on the weekend. I said, so what are you uh, buying roses? He said, oh, it's my anniversary coming up in a couple of days. I said, oh, that's awesome. It's awesome. And uh, I said, so how are you going to celebrate your anniversary? And he said, well, I'm going to take these roses in a, in a lawn chair, and I'm going to go down to the cemetery. And I'm going to sit beside her grave. She died three months ago. And I started to cry. His wife died, and I started to cry. And I said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? He said, and he starts to cry. He says, oh, would you? Now, we're in ShopRite. I put my hands on his shoulders. He puts his hands on my shoulders. And I just start praying for the comfort of God. 
Oh, Lord, would you comfort this man as only you can? And would you help him to understand the depth of your love? And would you, would you just, God, God, this is a horrid moment in his life, but would you just give him great grace? And I'm just praying for He's crying. We're both crying. I'm talking about running nose crying. The two of us, shop right. People going by with their baskets, you know. <laughs> you see, there, because I made the choice to let God move through me, everybody going by is in a prayer meeting now. They are. Everybody is hearing us pray. They're going, they're pushing the cart just a little bit slower just to listen to the, the words. And I, then when we're done praying, he looks at me, he's, he's crying and he's wiping his face. He says, what church do you go to? I said, I go to Tiny Square Church in New York City. And he says, you think I could go there? I said, oh, you'd be more than welcome. He says, he says if I go there, would I, would I be, but I meet you there? And I said, yeah, you most likely <laughs> I never told him I was a pastor because that's not my, identi- that's not my identity. I'm a Christian. You know, and that doesn't matter in moments like that. You know, just that we, can, we, we just learn to live and move and have our being in him. And so the point I'm trying to make today is what is the Holy Spirit groaning about in you? What is it that you haven't thought about that God wants to do? Where does he want to take you where you never thought you could go? What giftings does he want to give you that you never realized you even have? You don't even know he's given you the word of knowledge or wisdom or the ability to do things that are outside of your own perception of yourself. See, the church of Jesus Christ is, was born to be a supernatural testimony on the earth of who God is. Not an argument about God, which unfortunately many places we've become, but an actual demonstration of the reality that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. An indisputable testimony, like Stephen, Paul, others in the New Testament that, that just understood these truths and began to let God take them and lead them where only he could. This generation is, is dying to see the church again. See, may I put it this way, dying to see Christ again through his church. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of the, the anointed and normal church of this generation that just go through and are not afraid to, to lay hands on people and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. You know, Ross's wife, Sarah, had a miracle healing at our Bible school last year. She got up out of a wheelchair after being told she was never going to walk again. With her legs atrophied in a 90-degree angle, God raised her up out of that chair. Before she was raised up, she was given a word of knowledge that she was going to get out of the chair before the year was, was out. She shared her testimony on, the, on a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and there was a, a young lady in a worse condition, bedridden, unable to even bathe herself, so sick, and, and long-term prognosis of remaining sick for perhaps the rest of her life. Her husband worked for the Family Research Council in Washington. She listened to Sarah's testimony, and she said in her heart, God, if you could do that for Sarah, you can do that for me. Not too long after that, her husband was, was coming home on the train, and on the train he was suddenly burdened to pray for his wife, and he, he, was, he was just praying for her, and when he got to the train station, how surprised he was to find his wife standing there waiting for him at the train station. A miracle of God. A miracle of God. You see, I do believe this is what God wants to do in our generation. I, I am thoroughly prepared to be old-fashioned. 
let, let everybody else do their smoke things and stuff. And I, just, I just want the presence of God and the miracles of God and the people of God. There was a point in my life, I was sitting in church and I was hearing these kinds of messages. And I remember, I remember the first time I ever heard, with God, all things are possible. I remember sitting there thinking, could that be? I remember hearing that if you, if you have faith, you can move a mountain. If you don't doubt in your heart, you'll have what you say. And when you stand praying, believe and you shall receive what you ask for. And I, the, the, the man who, the church I was at that time was an evangelist. And that was his, almost his whole message. And I would sit on the edge of my seat saying, God, is this possible? But then a, a day came when I just stood up and said, I'm in. I'm in. For, I'm in for the whole package. I'm in. I'm going with God. I'm not going to sit here with this definition over my life that I'm not leadership material or I'm this or I'm that, whatever everybody else had ever said about me. You know, when people started praying for me, my mother-in-law <laughs> rebuked them and said, you don't know him. Isn't that amazing? And the ladies who were praying for me said to my mother-in-law, well, maybe we don't, but we do know God. And we know what God can do. And we believe that God has shown us that he wants to use your son-in-law for his purpose. So she repented of her attitude towards me and joined him and began to pray. <laughs> Hallelujah. So my question to you today, who's in? Choice is yours. You know, you can stand at the, the border of this incredible promise and just not go in, or you can go in. Come on, you got there's some tough guys here. I can see this. For heaven's sake, man. You just you just gotta get it in your gut. I'm in. I'm in. And girls that have a purpose in your life far beyond your expectation of yourself. Far beyond you. Let's, let's get to the finish line. When we get there together, let's just jump and dance and shout and say, only God could have done this. Only God could have done this. Only God. And if we have such a thing as a crown, we'll just throw that like a Frisbee at the throne of God and say, Lord, only you could have done this. For I know what I am, oh God. But I found out who you are, and I found out that you had plans for me so far beyond me. And it all starts with just people saying, I'm in, I'm in. So I want to give an altar call. I want to give an altar call today for people who are in. It's just that I'm in. God, I don't know where it's going to lead, but I'm going. I'm going. And I'm going to, I'm going to start today. When I feel that urging to speak to that sad-looking clerk in the store, I'm going to actually let you speak through me. I, I, when I feel led to pray, for, I'm just going to pray. When I, when I feel to speak, I'm going to speak. I'm going to let it start where it starts. And who knows what it's going to lead to. But I do know it's going to bring glory to your name because you're going to do something through me that only you can do. But God, I'm in. It's as simple as that. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for the long haul. I'm in for the mountains. I'm in for the valleys. I'm in for the times I understand. I'm in for the times I don't. I am in all the way. I'm in all the way. I'm in all the way. Come on, just slip out wherever you are. I'm in. I'm in. By God's grace, I'm in. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, make room, pull in tight. I'm in. And don't be ashamed to cry out to him. Don't be ashamed to rejoice. Don't be ashamed to lift your hands and say, God, thank you for choosing somebody like me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the grace to believe. God, thank you for, for groaning inside of my life and thinking things about me that I've never thought for myself. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Thank you for the miracles that you want to do through my life.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, 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 we give you praise and we give you glory today, God. Thank you, Lord. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Come on, let's all, let's stand and sing. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Come on, pour your heart out. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Come on, come alive. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Oh, come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. And we bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Oh, Just the voices, play it softly. Everybody sing it out. Come on, cry out to the Lord. Come on, declare it. Let the anointed normal miracles come alive in the name of Oh. This is a house of miracles. We bring. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Yes. I still, I still believe you're moving. I still believe Come on. Woo. God, I believe you're working. All things for good. I fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working all things for good. And I still believe you're moving. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All things for good. I fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working all things for good. And we sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Glory to your name, Jesus. Everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus this is a house Father we are hungry for you we seek you we are searching for you with all of our heart you are our top priority you are our life we fix our eyes on you Lord our ears are open we thank you for the season that you are bringing us into right this moment 
And I call you church. We've just heard the word of the Lord. Ezekiel 22:30. I search for a man. I search for a, a woman. May we declare, God, here we are. We're not enough, but you are. And we hear your call. And you will provide where you call us to go. You will be in us what you call us to do, to be. You are our equipping. I pray, Lord, for a release of what we call, as Pastor Carter, anointed and normal, naturally supernatural. Come on, just condition us, anoint us, Lord. Fresh oil, fall, ruach. Breathe upon us, O oh God, anointed and normal. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. And it's Mary and Martha. Oh, yet we know on the day, when we get to heaven, it all, when you call, when the trumpet sounds, yeah, it'll all be. But what about now? Lord, may, may we be like Lazarus, even if our life or our lack of life, it just stinks. May we hear you, Lord. Like Peter, you bid, you said, come. Yeah, it's me, come. May we jump out of the boat in the name of Jesus. Anybody feel the Holy Spirit just confirming the last few weeks of messages just rolled into one message? We just praise you, Lord. Pastor Carter told me yesterday morning, he said, I feel like, Pastor, as you come to the end of this fast, you're at the beginning of a season of miracles. But hear what he said. The gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit, they're not about us having warm fuzzies. It's not about a spiritual circus that draws a crowd. It's about them out there. It's about people around us. Amen? The miracles that are going to begin to flow, the supernatural. We're the last day's church. How many of you will say with us, it's not about what's coming. It's about now, right? Come on, just say it. Now, right now, in this moment, this Kairos moment, this Kairos season, this season of not tick, tock, tick, but this season of a Kairos moment is boom. There's an, there's an open door that's right before us. Come on, lift your hands right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, you see our hearts. We raise our hands to say, pick us up, carry us. We surrender. We raise our hands to say, we know the answer. His name is Jesus. I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for the anointing that's released in this place, the revival that is coming, that we are experiencing now in the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, lift up a shout like a delivered group of people ought to lift up a shout to the Lord. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Pastor Carter, thank you. I could stay here for another hour or two or three. Yesterday morning in the first session, I just, I was ready to lay down in the first session, just lay down before the Lord. This is what we were raised in. This is what we hunger for, y'all. This is the Bible way. 
this is what church, the kingdom of God, is to look like. We've been looking at other shiny things. This is what God is birthing. This is the last day's church. How many of you are glad to be part of this? This. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Thank you. Been dropping hints the last two days. Look, Pastor Carter, you can't just come here once a year. Two or three times, we booked him for next year, 2023, and he said he's open. So, how many of you just agree with me that he's part of our teaching pastoral staff? (laughs) And Ross, thank you for your ministry. It's a critical, vital role for him in this day to have a traveling companion that can go before and protect and is anointed in your own right I tried to hire you away from but he he said it no way not going to happen but we just are so grateful I, I, I got so excited about going to lunch I forgot to even welcome first timers earlier in the service so um if you're, if you're here for your first time, take one of the welcome home cards. Candace and I will be over here. This isn't a church like you typically understood church. We truly are more like a family, a close, healthy, functional family. And um, we like to know names. How many of you agree, truly, everybody is somebody at this church. And if you'd lo- we'll, we'll be here. We'd love to connect with you. We'd like to pray with people and get to know your names. And so how do you dismiss a time like this? I just say, may the anointed normal moments at Kroger and Costco and Publix and Starbucks and Warm Waves and Avalon, wherever we're going, just anointed normal breakthroughs all over us. And Jesus, may we drip with oil, the anointing, fresh wine and and new wineskins. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Just say it. Come on, I receive it. In Jesus' name, God bless you all. Have a great afternoon. We love you.